0: Um, the following story has nothing to do with my sermon, but David got to tell a story and it reminded me of a story and that's the way stories go, right? Have I told you my thirty-seven story yet? Yeah. All right. Well, here you go. I, uh, have been a coach of John Marks soccer team. Not that I have any soccer talents or abilities, but I'm a dad who's willing and able. So, you know, you get to coach. So I watched some videos. I talked to my friend, Thomas Nettleton. I learned some things about coaching soccer. And one fun thing we do is at the end of the season, the very last practice, we have a kids versus parents scrimmage. Now, we don't do it for the whole hour and a half because the parents would be dead, right? But for the last 20 minutes or so, we invite the parents back early for kids versus parents scrimmage. And man, I was having a good day game on the parents team, you know? So much so that I actually scored a goal and I uh, was running really hard, having a good time, One of the guys on John Mark's soccer team, Asher, he's this little toe-headed blonde guy, and he's just as sweet as he could be, and he's got kind of a young dad. Uh, Asher's the oldest of his siblings, and afterwards, Asher comes up to me and says, Wow, coach, you played really good for somebody who's 37. (laughs) I said, Asher, um, how old's your dad? He says, 35. I said, Asher, I'm 48. He literally stepped back, looked me down, and looked me up and went, Wow. Guess he didn't know old guys could move like that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it for the old guys. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, uh, yeah, David, we're glad that you're 32, and we're glad that you're here with us, and we hope you make it to 37 and 48, and that thing about the most birthdays, we want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't opened your Bibles already, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and you're going, dude, how's Pastor Aaron going to preach about two scripture verses? Just watch, okay? We know how to do this thing. These two scripture verses, and then we've got two more weeks in 1 Timothy as we finish up our sermon series, My True Child, instructions for the church from 1 Timothy. And remember what we see here. What we see is Paul talking to his son in the ministry, Timothy. That's why it's called My True Child. He calls him that in the beginning of the book. And he's talking to his son in the ministry who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And not unlike any other church because it's full of people and people still have sinful problems. The church had problems and Paul is giving advice to his son in the ministry of how to pastor this church at Ephesus. The benefit is we get to read it, and we get to say, okay, how should we behave as believers in Jesus out in the world and in our church, and how should we conduct ourselves? We follow the advice of Paul to Timothy. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as we read just these two verses, our key text this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and I've got it from the New International Version. It says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and to urge them. Pray with me. Our Father, as we open these words and we consider this idea of slavery, we know there's not slaves here in modern-day America, but there's application for us. And there is slavery still in our world. But what you desire to teach us is how we should conduct ourselves in these relationships. So we pray now that by your word, as always, You would speak to us in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Slavery in our nation was based on economics and based on race and is a terrible evil. And I'm glad it's done for, even though we still see the vestiges today. Slavery in our world today might be based on religion. It might be based on tribalism. It might also be based on economics or things much worse. But in that day and time, the day in which Paul was writing to Timothy, in the midst of the Roman Empire, and in this cosmopolitan hub city of Ephesus, half of all the population of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. And it was based on economics. If you owed a debt you couldn't pay, you became enslaved. It was based on military conquest. We conquered you and we needed some folks to do some stuff for us. You might become a slave. And so what we need to remember as general principles are these things. That under God's eyes, all people are equal. No matter where they're from. No matter the color of their skin. No matter their race. We'll come to that in Scripture in just a few moments. And furthermore, in Christ... Those of us who are believers in Jesus are equal as well. Yes, there are special instructions for different leaders in the church, as we found out from our study of 1 Timothy. Elders and deacons should be held to a different standard, pastors and deacons. But all of us are equal in God's eyes. And when you look at the New Testament, you see the conversion of entire households. And a household in the New Testament day would include the household slaves. You see that in Acts 16.15, 1 Corinthians 1.16 that slavery at this point in time was far from being overturned. So the church needed some guidance on how to deal with the relationships between masters and slaves. The relationships between masters and slaves were pretty well prescribed and there were lots of laws codifying it in the Roman Empire. That masters had these rights and privileges and slaves didn't have many rights and privileges. Matter of fact, it was as if slavery were treat, slaves were treated like most people would treat their livestock. But Christianity, as it changed people's hearts, began to change relationships and change the culture. And so when we look at our passage of Scripture today, uh, I've titled it Conduct in the Workplace because I'm applying it to us today. I don't believe any of you are slaves. But sometimes you might tease and say that you feel like one to your company, but trust me, you're not. I hope that they don't treat you that poorly. But what we learn from this passage today, because we are not slaves in this day and time, is how we should conduct our relationship between employers and employees, that the model of master and slave applies to boss and employee. And so as we apply it to us today, we will see those things at work. Now, let's look at our scripture of the month. Our Scripture of the Month helps illuminate our understanding as well, and that will be in next week's sermon. Let's read that together, starting with the reference. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Timothy 6.12 Whether it's a fight for something as heinous as slavery or a fight to choose to do the right thing when you feel like doing the wrong thing because everybody else does it, or because my boss is a jerk or whatever reason we make up for ourselves. As believers in Jesus, our first love should be for Him. And our commitment should be to honor, obey, and to serve Him. And as we serve Jesus for God's glory, we serve others in Jesus' name to do that as well. So let's take just a moment or two more and look at a couple other scriptures to examine about slavery in the New Testament. That's the first point on your outline, is slavery in the New Testament. There are a couple other passages that aren't printed on your outline you might want to write down. The first is 1 Corinthians 12.13. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says that we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. That's 1 Corinthians 12.13. I.e., we're all equal. No matter where we come from, no matter our station in life, even as members of the church, we're all equal. You look at Colossians 3.11. Write down Colossians 3.11. He says, here, that's in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That Jesus is everything there is, He is the object of our affection. He's our first love, and we are in him as the church. He is the head. We are his bride, and we are in him. You might also observe the entire book of Philemon, just one chapter, and that book of Philemon, the interesting relationship between a slave and a master and how Paul pivots from what is right and what is legal in the Roman system to appeal to Philemon, the master that Because Onesimus, the slave, is now your brother in Christ, I'm asking you to treat him differently. I'm asking you to forgive him, accept him, and love him. And then the scripture that's called the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. That's Galatians 3.28. We'll read verse 29 as well. Write down Galatians 3.28 and 29. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're one in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, i.e., you have the covenant and the inheritance of God's promises, and are heirs according to the promise. So all of us in Christ are one. Now, let's look at those two passages of Scriptures that we have there for you. And if you'll turn with me, because if you're in 1 Timothy, you just turn a few pages to your left, you get Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 8. And so, again, this book of Ephesians is written to the same church at Ephesus. But we have it today, and Paul wrote it to tell the church, here's how you ought to behave. Notice what it says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear that respect means reverence honor and fear with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ so he's writing to people under the roman system that they are property and they have very little rights but he is telling them here's how you're supposed to obey just as you would obey Christ Verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. I worked one time and I had a co-worker who was the laziest so-and-so I've ever met. He was so lazy that he would employ others in his laziness, or he would attempt to anyhow. He would be sitting doing nothing while we were supposed to be doing work, and he would say to you, hey, If you see the boss coming, tell me so I can stand up and get to work. Some of you have probably known some people like that. Maybe there's been times when you've been like that. It'd be okay if he did that once or twice when he was having a bad day, but that was the way he worked. Verse 7, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Think about what you do wholeheartedly. And think about how you live wholeheartedly. And think about if you were a slave... In Roman days, and you're a member of a church in which there are slaves and masters. And you hear this serve wholeheartedly. Paul gives the reason why in verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Paul is saying it's not just about what happens here and it's not just about how your master treats you here, but you serve Jesus first. And it's not just the reward you will get on this earth, but there is an eternal reward that far exceeds and outweighs anything you might get on earth. And notice verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. So in the same way what? Go back and look. Respect Fear, sincerity of heart, obedience, serving wholeheartedly. Doing for them as you would do for the Lord. It says, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. God's in heaven, and he's both your masters, and you need to serve him, Paul says. So you're in Ephesians Turn a few pages over to your right to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 and following. Now, I've oftentimes recited verses 23 and 24 because I believe it's universally applicable, but look at the beginning of the passage in verse 22. Who's the passage written to? Slaves, obey your earthly masters. This sounds a whole lot like what we just read in Ephesus. Ephesus. Ephesus, or Ephesians, is written to the church at Ephesus. Colossians is written to the church at Colossae. So in both churches, they had masters and slaves, and Paul's giving them the same sort of advice. Listen to what he says. He says, Obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Again, there's the sincerity, there's the reverence. That it's God you're serving as you serve them. Go on and look at verse 23. This is one you might should memorize. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As one working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. All of us have our days at work. All of us have our customers, our bosses, our co-workers that can get under our skin or push our buttons And all of us need to remember these two verses. I would challenge you to memorize them, screenshot them, do something with them so that you can call them up whenever to remember that whatever we do, we're to work at with all our heart. You're picking up trash, pick up trash with all your heart. You're cleaning a toilet, clean it with all your heart. You're folding clothes at home, fold them with all your heart. You're doing that report that you hate to do and it's the third time you had to do it because somebody else screwed up. Do it with all your heart. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Paul was writing this to slaves in the church at Colossae, but it applies to us as well. How we work wholeheartedly. So those are general instructions to slaves then. They apply to us as workers today, but let's come back to our key passage of Scripture and your second major point in your outline, and that is our conduct in relation to unbelievers. Our conduct in relation to unbelievers. Well, where do we get this from is verse 2. Verse 2 says that those who have believing masters are not to show less respect. So we know that he's contrasting. And in verse 1, he's talking about masters who are not believers in Jesus. Notice what he says there. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. This analogy, this idea of a yoke of slavery. Talks about how many masters regarded their slaves. No better than cattle. But yet in Christ, because we are different. God calls us to treat others different. And to show respect to them, no matter how they might treat us. And he says, treat them with full respect. A temptation when you're in Christ and you know that, hey, I can be forgiven for whatever I do. That's a bit of a flippant attitude that mocks the grace of Jesus. But our temptation, especially if somebody gets under our skin, pushes our buttons, or is less than honorable themselves, is that we would be harsh back to them, that we would be sinful in response to their sinfulness. But Scripture tells us that no matter who, no matter how they act, no matter what they do, we're to give full respect to those in authority over us. And there's a so that, you know, I love the so that. Can I get an amen? The so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Scripture teaches that Christ followers ought to behave differently than people in the world. It shouldn't just be because you have a cross on your neck or a Jesus fish on the back of your car, or you listen to K-Love that people know, oh, you're a Christian. It should be because your life demonstrates it by the way you act and the way you talk and the way you say what you say. Even the very looks on your face. Some of us do a good job at guarding our tongues, but... Your face says a whole lot more than your tongue ever should say. I don't know about you. I need to work on that one a little bit. And so we have this injunction of how we're supposed to behave no matter what in order that we might show honor to God. So you've got a question here. Actually, a statement, excuse me. The first one is that we respect those in authority. That we're to respect those in authority. Again, this is written specifically to masters and slaves, but it applies to us as employees with an employer. If God has got them in authority over us, there's a reason for that. How do we behave towards those in authority over us? How do we talk to those in authority over us? How do we talk about those in authority over us? You all have probably had a coworker that seems to have a way of trying to impress your boss by the manner in which they work, the words in which they use, and the way they use those words. Yet, as soon as the boss is gone, they have nothing but bad to say about the boss. And their behavior is sinful, if not despicable. We should respect those in authority, and Scripture tells us whether they're watching us or not. Because somebody else is watching us and even if it's not somebody else down here that's watching us, it's God that's watching us. Have you considered how your life might be different if you knew that you were being videotaped 24-7, 365? And that that videotape could be showed to anybody else in your life. Would you gossip as freely about someone if you knew they'd be able to hear the videotape of what you saw? Or said? Would you... Act like you did and do that sinful thing even though you say, oh, it's okay, it's not that bad of a sin and whatever justification you do. And would you do that if you knew that anybody could see what you just did? Of course we wouldn't. We have enough decency about us that that shame and that fear would keep us from doing those sort of things. But friends, we forget that the God of the whole universe watches us at all times and hears us at all times. And He's the one we should be fearful of, not other people. We're to respect those in authority. Remember that God is always watching us. Why do we respect them in authority? Our second answer there is so God will not be dishonored. When we act dishonorable, when we sin, we bring dishonor on the name of Jesus. No matter our station in life, no matter our job or not, we serve God. And people know that you're a believer in Jesus and they're watching you and they're listening to you. And because they are watching you and listening to you and because you serve Jesus first, you need to ask Jesus to help change your heart in relation to other people and in relation to Him. Titus chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. Paul's writing another son in the ministry, Titus. In another pastoral situation, and listen to what he says in Titus chapter 2, 9 and 10, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Your service to others as an employee makes Jesus attractive to others. Your actions, your words, whether we're talking employer, any relationship, makes Jesus attractive to others. So that's conduct in relation to unbelievers. Paul talks slightly differently about conduct in relation to believers, and that's your next major point. Your conduct in relation to Christ's followers, and that's in verse 2. So go back to verse 2, 1 Timothy 6, verse 2. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they're brothers. We could be tempted to think, Ah, well, they're also a Christian. They should forgive me if I act like a jerk. So I'm going to act like a jerk to them. I wouldn't act like a jerk to a heathen, but I'll act like a jerk to my Christ-following boss. No, we shouldn't take advantage of that. Go on. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers. It says right there in Scripture... That if your employer, your boss is a believer, you need to work even harder. Be more conscientious about your work and the manner in which you go about your work because you're going to benefit them as a believer. And then there's another thing that it says and dear to them. There's a relationship there. And the Greek syntax here, it leaves a little bit confusing. And actually, my NIV 84 doesn't translate it quite right. What it actually means is that because the employer or the boss, or in this case, the master is a believer, they see their slave is dear to them. And because they see that person working for them is dear to them, that's one more reason why you ought to do the best you can in relation to them. So let's look at your answers here. We respect all other Christ followers. We respect all other Christ followers. And because of who they are, and because God has them in a place of authority over us, we respect them. I know I told this story at some time in the past, but I know you all weren't here. And it's a story worth telling again. When I was a journeyman missionary in South Africa, um. You know, my job was to be a missionary. I stayed busy all the time. It wasn't a 40-hour work week. I didn't even count hours because I was a single guy and I had a dog, you know. So I'd walk my dog and take care of my dog and I'd just go to the townships, love people in Jesus' name. And I was everywhere all the time and it was pretty amazing to be able to do that as a single guy. But every now and then, even I wanted to go on a vacation And even though I didn't make a lot of money, I, you know, saved up some money. And I had a friend that was in the next country over, Botswana, in Habarone, Botswana, this cool guy. We had a lot of fun hanging out together. And uh, besides, they had this really cool game park right by Habarone that had some great animals that you could see up close. And I'm like, I'm going to go see my friend. So I just took off. I told my boss I was going to, but I didn't file the proper paperwork with the mission agency I worked with, right? I guess I wasn't even thinking about it. I mean, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. But when I get back, the director of our local mission called me into his office. So I drive an hour and ten minutes to sit down with him, and he dresses me down about my behavior. And finally, he says to me in the midst of this interview, do you have a problem with authority? I mean, he was mad at me. I think I was a little bit argumentative with him. And I Clintonized. I lied to him. I said no. But I thought absolutely I have a problem with authority. Not all authority, but your authority. And the way you're trying to exercise it over me. I think he knew I was lying. He was very stern to me and he dismissed me. And I didn't have very many nice things to say for that guy about that guy for a while. Until God got a hold of my heart and convicted me that I was wrong. Unfortunately, that was after I'd come back to America. Years later, I had the opportunity through a friend of a friend to get the phone number of this gentleman and to call him up and say, Would you please forgive me? I lied to you. I did have a problem with your authority, and I disrespected you, and I gossiped about you. I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? It was a wonderful opportunity for healing Once I got broken and humble enough to realize I had sinned and courageous enough to call him and confess it. Friends, we're to respect all others, especially Christ followers, especially those who are in a position of authority over us, no matter what they think, what we think of them or why they did what they did. That doesn't matter. Respect is respect. Scripture says we're to honor others above ourselves. It doesn't define who the others are. It doesn't define if they deserve it or not or if we think they deserve it or not. It says, honor others above ourselves. Romans 12.10. You can't argue that. Let's move on to the next point. We do that that we might serve them better. We follow our bosses that are Christ followers and work even harder that we might serve them better to bring glory to God by our service to them that there's a difference in the way we conduct ourselves this doesn't mean you should be walking around going okay now this guy that is my boss is a Christian I'm going to work really hard for him this guy is not a Christian who cares how I work for him we have to honor and respect either one but there's this added level of Love and respect for a Christian supervisor or boss. And look at your third point there, because they care for us. That's the part I said my translation of scripture got it a little bit wrong. But those folks that are believers in Jesus, that are in authority, care for us, which there's something implied there as well. If you're a business owner, if you're a contractor, if you're an employer, if you're a boss, if you are in authority over somebody in a workplace, this implies that as a believer you must care for your employees. That should have been understood anyhow, right? That, yes, they do something for you, but you do something for them. You provide leadership, you provide direction, you provide a whole lot more than a paycheck, right? But you take care of them because they mean something to you as a valuable contributor and a fellow Christ follower, not just because they're a cog in a wheel doing a job, but because there's more meaning to it than that. So... In this passage of Scripture in which Paul talks about slaves and masters, he didn't emphasize individual rights as much as individual responsibilities. That it's the responsibility of a Christ follower, no matter who is in authority over you, to honor the person in authority over you. To be respectful to the person in authority over you. To work hard for the person in authority over you. In order that you might bring honor to the name of Jesus. What did Colossians 3.23 say? Whatever you do, whoever you're doing it for. Work at it with all your heart as one working for God, not men, since you know that it's the Lord Christ you're serving. And it's God that's going to reward you ultimately for what you do, not just the paycheck or the attaboy. That we have equality before God. Galatians 3, 28-29, the Magna Carta of Christian freedom doesn't mean we have equal roles and equal responsibilities, but it means in God's eyes we are all equal. And therefore we ought to treat others with that same equal respect, equal love, equal honor. Paul accepted that there is a different status in both slaves and masters. But what he did not accept was an attitude of disrespect or lackadaisical performance. Paul required. Can we go so far as saying. Commanded. That slaves. Excel at serving their masters. Because they are believers in Jesus. And as it applies to us today. That we as believers in Jesus. Should set an example for all others. In our workplace. and the way we serve. And how we go about serving. So you've got. Application questions. So we apply this to us. Your first question says, how can I honor God in my work? This is you specifically, okay? This is when you stop looking at me and you keep looking at your paper. And think about it for just a minute. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your mind and to point out to you something that even in the past week that you did that may have brought dishonor to God in your work and the way you went about your work? Is there something that maybe is a habit of yours that you need to get rid of that sinful habit in relation to your work or someone you work with? How can you honor God in your work? It may just be that Your work is fine, but your attitude needs to change. You need to ask God to give you joy in your work. Fulfillment in your work. To be more loving to others that you work with. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, Scripture says. Then you've got a second question. And that question says, how can I honor God by caring for others? How can I honor God by caring for others? You all remember I used to wear the kind of teal-colored bracelet for Avery Anderson, the young lady that two years ago this month had a traumatic brain injury in her home in rural Oklahoma. And they brought her to Madonna, Here in Lincoln. Because they specialize in helping people recover from such injuries. And I heard about her from a friend of a friend. he said would you go visit. And about once a week I would go visit Avery and her mom Tiffany. And whoever else from the family might have been there from Oklahoma. For the year's time that they were here in Lincoln. John Mark still prays for Avery every night. That she would wake up. And people would believe in God because of her. Avery's still asleep. The brain injury, her eyes are open. She can kind of acknowledge some things, but it's not like she's there. Her family and medical providers have to do everything to care for her. One reason it was easy for me to keep making visits as a pastor was not only was I initially impacted by their story, but the way that her mom, her aunts, her dad, her sister and brother, and other family members came and loved that young lady, and how selfless and sacrificial they were, was inspiring to me. I honor God by caring for others. And it may not be an extreme situation with somebody with a traumatic brain injury who cannot do anything for themselves It might be your fully capable spouse, but you still need to honor them by caring for them. It might be your growing in their capability young child. You still need to honor them by caring for them. It might be your boss who should know better and you'd really like to kick him in the pants, but you still need to honor them by caring for them. God calls us to live differently because Jesus has saved us. And because Jesus has saved us, we love others, no matter who they are or no matter what their position is. Let's pray together. God, our Father, I take for granted that most of us here are believers in Jesus. At some point in time in our past, we confessed our own personal sinfulness. We believe that What the Bible said that Jesus is your son and he came to save anyone who would trust him from their sins. And we asked him to be our Savior and Lord. Father, if there's a soul here today that understands that for the first time, would they make that decision public? Would they let us know when we stand to sing to come down and talk to me? And they would put their faith in Jesus to save them. Father, most of us are believers in Jesus, and all of us probably have worked or do work somewhere, but we're all in relation with others everywhere, at home and when we go out, and all of us need to be reminded that the way we live, the things we do, the things we say, and how we do and say what we do and say demonstrates the love of Jesus for others. So God, as we come before you today, if there's anything we need to confess, that we need to repent from, if there's any accountability or counseling or encouragement we need, would we submit to that now in order to better honor you, God, by the way that we honor others. So, Father, we thank You for Your presence by Your Holy Spirit. We ask that You continue to speak to us as we stand and sing, that Your Spirit would move in this place and we'd know it. In Jesus' name, Amen.